prayer, shall we? Uh, <laughs> I want to see the end of it. I don't know if they're the rest. Well, it's uh, not Kung Fu uh, tithing this morning, but we are taking a look at, uh, with a lot of joy, a very joyful and yet probably the most sensitive nerve ending in the Christian church. It's not women in leadership. It's not sexuality. It's not how to interpret the scripture. It goes between your heart and your wallet. And this morning, I am not going to be asking for any of your money. And those of you that visit are visiting or brought friends and you thought, oh, great, uh, this is the morning to bring them. I want us to simply come. I think it is a great morning because I want you, I want me to be able to enjoy every dollar we have in our wallet the way God intended it. You know, they say that a dog is a man's best friend and diamonds are a girl's best friend. Who's dumber? That's all I'll say with that, but... There's probably one area outside of sex that blows more Christians out of the battle than any other by far, and it's finances. And the reason why that Satan so attacks in this area is because like sex, it strikes at the very imago Dei, the image of God and who we are. And this morning, I want us to look at real briefly a good theology on money, on wealth. Any, we all have a theology of money. That's just basically an understanding of why we think we have what we have. And any good theology of wealth should cover three areas. How we make it, how we spend it, and how we share it. I believe that next to the kingdom, there's a reason that Jesus spent more time talking about finances than any other topic. He knows that our hearts are wrapped around it. And as I said this morning, it is such a meaningful, powerful way to live when you're freed from the addiction to money and you can really walk under the rule and reign of Christ. If you have your Bible, I want us to take a look at a couple passages and uh, realize what God is saying in these. Turn with me, first of all, over to 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter. As Paul is writing this letter, he is telling them about the dignity of work. First of all, God cares how we make it. In 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, in verses 6 to 10. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition they've received for us. What he's talking about is there are a lot of people just waiting. They think that Christ is returning in their life. They quit their job. They're just hanging around. And Paul says, get it together. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave this command, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. Now, you'll notice what Paul is stepping on is not just a question of laziness. But God cares about how we make money. Is there such a thing as tainted money? If somebody came in right now and offered us a check for $2 million, and they got it from selling coke or crack, but they wanted to use it for God's purposes, should we take it? Is that tainted? Some of my... Uh, African-American pastor friends downtown always say, yeah, it's tainted money. Tain enough. That's what it is. But 
Does God care about that? Does God care if you sleep in a Hyatt? Does God care if you sleep in areas that are controlled and run by or a Marriott? A Marriott basically has so much Mormon money in it. Does God care about that? And my quick feeling is, I want to tell you, no, I don't think in the marketplace God cares. I'll stay at a Buddhist hotel if it's a good rate and they give you breakfast. (laughs) Does God care how we make money? And the answer is, yes, he does. Notice there is a dignity here in work. Paul said, when we were with you, we worked, even though we were entitled for you as a traveling preacher, to be supported by you. Do you know there was work before there was sin? In the garden... Adam and Eve weren't just sitting in the garden staring into each other's eyes and taking long walks in the evening. They were about the process of creating. Because work both is to provide, but also to create. And you and I are all called. And this is true whether our first jobs when we're in school or whether we are in retirement. It doesn't mean that we stop being productive for the Lord. It may not be punching a time clock. But God has given us this talent, and part of the real joy in life is being able to do new things. Paul does go so far to say, though, if somebody doesn't work, they won't eat. You know what's great about the Bible? It doesn't fit into any neat economic theories. Economic theories are judged by it. It outcapitalizes the capitalists. If you won't work, you don't eat. And yet it outsocializes the communists. Jesus says, if you have two shirts, give one away. Someone wants something, just give it to it. So the question is, what about how we make our jobs? And the answer is, how can you use the unique talents you have to help create wealth in the sense, to provide for others, and in that process bear fruit for Christ? Notice that in Jesus' story, this marvelous parable of the talents, that he, the master goes away and he leaves different amounts to others. And in that parable, it points out, they thought the kingdom was going to come right now. Finally, we don't have to work. Jesus says, not so. The guy with five goes out and he invests it with ten, and he comes back and he doubles it, and he says, well done. Now notice in Luke's account, he's not giving more money. He's saying, you're over ten cities. To whom much is given, much is required. Of whom little is given, little is required. Jesus said an interesting thing. He said, if you cannot handle the wealth of others, why would God entrust to you your own riches? He does it different than what we do. We normally see, can people handle their own money, then they'll handle ours. God has said, I have given you wealth. And if you handle the wealth that is loaned to you when you stand in front of me, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in this life, and it will make a difference in eternity. I'm not saying you can buy or bribe God. Question is responsibility. The next guy comes with a half amount and he doubles the return. He gets the same thing. You be over cities. The only failures notice the one who came with the one. By the way, talent doesn't mean skill. It's a measurement of gold. He's talking about money here. We use it for talent. Yeah, that's true in our English understanding of the word. But what he's talking about is the money in your wallet. The guy comes up with a one and he says, I know you were harsh. None of this is yours. You didn't come up with the money. It was somebody else's and you just gave it to me and you want a cut of it. And the master says, if I am that mean, 
are you stupid? That's the Hebrew phrase in there. He said, why didn't you go and invest it then and at least give me the interest on it? He says, you were condemned by your own words. What is Jesus talking about? There's not a one of us in here that don't believe that we're entitled to the breath in our lungs. We believe because we're alive, we deserve it. There's not a one in here that doesn't believe because we've gotten used to a certain standard of living that somehow we deserve it. It is ours. And the idea of giving back to God as we have this illusion, what are we going to give of our money back to God? That's so wrong. Because the truth is not how much of your money you're going to give to God. The question is, how much of God's money are you going to keep? And I tell you that when we stand in front of Him... And Bel Air, my feet are to the fire on this. When you stand before the Lord, I'm accountable, not for your response, but to make sure that you're ready for that day. And one of the things, the most important primary lesson we can get to is trusting the Lord financially. Now, you need to be giving to the Lord, I believe, 10%. That's the benchmark for where people start. A lot of people say, well, that's legalistic. All right, then you start with 15%. (laughs) If, by the way, you take a look in the scriptures, in the New Testament, there's no mention of tithe. You know what is mentioned? It's mentioned of the widow's might who gave away every single thing she had. It's mentioned that of Zacchaeus, when he meets the Lord, he gives away 50% of his assets on the spot. It's mentioned in the book of Acts, they liquidated everything they had, everything they had, and they shared together. 10% is getting off easy. Now, I don't think I can tell you where to give it. That's between you and the Lord. You're big boys and girls. He'll guide and lead you. That's not my task. My task is, if you belong to this mission, that you do support it. So God cares about how we make our money, how we create it. You know, there's if you're selling a product out there and you're being cheesy on the honesty factor and you think you're going to tithe on this and that God will make the deal go through, don't do it. If you're offering a service out there, and whatever the market will bear, and I have no idea in understanding economics of what is honoring to God or not, but you basically we do in our heart, and you're deliberately shaving on your service because you can, don't do it. God cares about how we make our money. He wants honesty. And the wonderful thing about Presbyterians is this understanding of the dignity of work. Whether you're bussing tables or studying and reading, or whether you're a stay-at-home mom or dad and taking care of the little ones, or whether you're balancing accounts, or whether you're out selling things, there's a dignity, a holiness to that. God also cares not only how we make it, but how we spend it. The other 90%. Most ministers just talk about that 10% as like if you're just giving God to that, He doesn't care about the rest. Yes, He does. God cares about the power of money. Have you ever noticed in the book of Revelation that the Antichrist, the false trinity of the last days, whenever that is and who knows, that the man who was filled by Satan, not a demon, there was only one other person who was ever possessed by Satan, Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, and it said Satan entered into him and Jesus said, what you must do, you do quickly. I think he's speaking to Satan there. The Antichrist at the end who was given... Possession by Satan. What power is he given? The power to buy and sell. Unless everybody has the mark. Why economics combined with this false religion? Because of the power of money. That's why. And that's why it's so important 
that we, before times get really difficult, and I pray that the Lord, you know, I'd be great if He came back this week, wouldn't it? I mean, there's a lot of people I gotta see this week I don't want to, and it'd be wonderful if He came back this week. <laughs> but we don't, who knows, Christ may not come back for 300 years. But I tell you this, if you're not honoring the Lord now in these times, you're smoking breakfast if you think you're gonna change and it gets tougher. It doesn't get easier, it gets harder. And that's why it's so important now to honor Him. And so God cares about how we spend it the other 90%. And you know the three rules. Get out of debt, get out of debt, get out of debt. Like they say, we buy things we don't want with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. (laughs) And there is the American consumer. Is that not true? I mean, the ability to learn how to be able to enjoy without having to spend everything. A wealthy person is the person who has a hundred dollars more than she or he wants. And the poor person is the one who has a hundred dollars less. And learning how to control appetite. There's a beautiful side to money. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter. Again, as Paul, and he gives two sides to this. 1 Timothy, and actually, excuse me, in the second chapter where he is speaking of this great power that there is to be able to do good things and that there is always this ability to be able to reach out and some people don't want to handle things that they don't want to be led into God calls us in so many ways to be able to trust him and to be able to understand that he is the one who has called us to all these things and when the Lord calls us to this understanding of understanding that money is not just a way to bribe God and to tip God, but that we actually may be able to run ahead in life and enjoy things, then things are really powerful. There's, there is this process of where he is talking. And let's take a first look at the sixth chapter in verse six to ten. I know I'm jumping around here a little bit looking at the clock. There's this wonderful side. Paul had said, all things are given to be enjoyed by God. The rabbis have a wonderful saying. We will give an accounting for every blessing we refuse to enjoy. Isn't that a great saying? That God wants us to enjoy things. God gives these things for us to enjoy. And the Lord wants us to understand that. Paul says, for those who say, do not eat, do not handle, do not touch, and abstain for all these things. He says, that's wrong. Creation is good. God gave it. God loves flowers. God loves a good meal. Do you think of that? God loves the sound of a baseball bat hitting a homer. They were hitting a few of them tonight. God loves that experience. God loves the feel of someone hugging you. God loves the feel of, of nice clothes and seeing things of this. Yes, to enjoy those things. But... In the 6th chapter, in verses 6 through 10, page 210, let's read this, because this is such an important passage, and it was quoted in our Kung Fu tithing that was up here. Starting with verse 6, where it says, of course, let's read together. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith 
and pierced themselves with many pains. There's a beautiful side to money. The way to bless. Have you ever been in a tough time and someone financially helped you out? Do you know what that means? You know, one of the great things of Bel Air, all the, over $700,000 you're going to give away to mission work and to be helping that we are in this last year and to bless somebody that doesn't have. There's so much power in that. But there's an ugly side to money. I cannot tell you the number of funerals I have done throughout my years as a pastor that the room was chilled over, not because of the loss of a loved one, but because of the fight over the stinking money. I mean, to watch that is unbelievable. I cannot tell you the number of families that I've seen sacrificed on the altar of American success for the God of mammon. Money is a powerful thing. There are those that are addicted to spending, and you cannot enjoy, God has given all things, what you're addicted to. Some people just spend and spend and spend. Some where you have to learn the joy of free things. But you know what? There are, I think that something more subtle and evil are the hoarders. There are those that won't spend a nickel because they're just racking it up. You know, putting it away. Presbyterians have a tradition because of stewardship of being a little tight, whether it's the Scots or not. So I heard, you, heard the story of the pastor that had a multi faith gathering, Methodist, Baptist, and he wanted to raise money for a project. And one of the ushers said, I've wired the pews at different amounts at different places of voltage, and when you call out certain numbers, I'm going to electrocute them. He said, okay. So he said, how many out there will pledge $100? And they zapped him, and ten people jumped up. He said, I see that. That's wonderful. <laughs> then there were other ones. He said, how many will give $500? And he hit other ones. People jumped up. He said, get those names. Get those names. And then he said $1,000, and at the end, he was in counting the money. He said, this is great. And the usher said, I bring you bad news. He goes, why? He said, we had six Presbyterians in the front pew, and rather than move, they were just electrocuted. (laughs) We know how to make wealth. That's true. But if you right now are racking up Tons of money for saving. I have a question. For what? Stewardship is one thing. And just throwing your money out the window doesn't honor God. Not at all. Do you really want to step into the presence of God and say, God, I made X amount of money and I want you to know I never spent a nickel of it. You and I don't want to do that. And again, God will show you and guide you where to live. And when you have this power over this addiction, a narcotic, Nobody ever gets straight by buying them another line of Coke. And so many people out there think that if I can just have a little bit more, I'll be free. No, we won't. God cares how we make money. And God cares how we spend money. Learning to stay within our budgets. And some of us need professional ops. You need a financial planner or making wills. I mean, there are those that are educated in that area, yes. But you know, God really cares above all how we share it. And sharing, as I said, I believe, starts with 10%. It's been said that Satan sends errors in pairs so that you'll pick one over the other, but you're still wrong. Does God care whether he will send the error in the sanctification? Is alcohol in itself evil, so you should never touch it, or is it better to be a drunk? Well, the church has said, well, it's better to be a teetotaler as far as evil and alcohol itself Rather than saying no, 
There is a place where we understand what we are addicted to and not. You see how errors come in. Is it better to be working so hard for the Lord that you spend no time with your family and you have no life? Or is it better to do nothing for God? Well, it's better to be out of control. I mean, do you see how Satan does this? The error in money is this. God sent Jesus into this world so that you would be financially wealthy. Or, God doesn't care about your financial needs. They're both errors. The truth is in the middle. God does care about our needs. And He knows our needs are not primarily financial. Just like Israel believed their problem was Rome's boot on their throat. These pig-eating Gentiles that were slaughtering them, get rid of them and the kingdom will come. And what does Jesus do? He goes to the cross. Why? Because that's our primary need. And a lot of times we just think, if only, Lord, I had this, and if only I had that, then I'd be happy. He'd say, no, if only you learned to trust me. It's not a question, as I say, of how much of my money that we give to God, but how much of God's money am I going to keep? And Bel Air, do we really think God needs our money? Someone told me he's very wealthy. I don't know if you know that. That he speaks and things come into existence. What he cares about is our hearts that are wrapped around that. Do you really think, do you know how much the Father loved the Son? And if he shed his Son's blood, his only boy on that cross for you and me, so that we would be transformed to be his image, do you think he's going to let us duck out of growing in this area? Of course not. He loves us too much. You know, giving to others is such a deep satisfaction. For those of you that have children, I pray that you take them out and you take out ten one-dollar bills and you go put them out. And you say, this first one goes to the work of God. The other nine we keep. Four go for the house. The other five go for you. And your mother and I have nothing. But that's how it works around here. <laughs> I really do pray you... I pray you were educated that way. I thank God for my parents and being able to help show me how to honor the Lord and being able to trust Him in those ways. Because in the bottom line is, you know, a hundred years from now, when you're alive, and you will be alive, you won't be in that body, but you'll be alive a lot more than now. The only thing that will matter financially is what you've sent ahead. Carnegie was a fascinating man. You know, he invented the first endowment trust. Carnegie said that if you died with money, you lose. But he was making so much money, he couldn't give it away in his life. And he also oppressed his employees sometimes unbelievably. You know, part of the thing of value of money is, for those of us that are employers, do your employees feel valued? And employees, do the people that have hired you, is it just their privilege they have you? That's part of the value. But somebody who worked for Carnegie caught on to this. He sent some money one time to an African mission in the 1923 to start a college there, a Bible college. Long story short, he lost everything in the Great Crash. And in the Depression, this college went looking for him to be able to invite him to come back to find out what was going on in his life. He was living outside in Chicago, outside of the Loop, in a run-down tenement, and they finally found him, and they said, come with us back to Africa. He was so embarrassed, he said, no, no. He said, I basically, this side of being homeless and 
I can't go back. They said, just come back. And they flew him over there. And when he got there and he looked on this college campus that his money had started and all the smiling African faces, the women and men that were learning the things of God and giving hope, he said a great statement. He said, the only thing I have is what I gave away. That's really true. Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave food to me. Thank you. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was alone and you visited. And they said, Lord, when did we do that? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Belair, do you understand God's purpose for your money? How we make it? That there's a dignity and integrity when you walk out of here? God wants to use the creative things. Yeah, it's a tough economy right now. But God can be overseeing and make sure that we're honest in how we do that. Do you see that God cares how we spend it? The thrill of being able to realize there are some of you today, you need to not spend anything this week, but just enjoy free things. There are some of you, you need to go out and buy something today. And take your stubby little fingers off of the idol of mammon. But above all, do you see how God cares how we share it? With gratitude. What He's loaned to us. For what He's done. You seek the kingdom, Jesus said, and all the rest will be added. This coming week, if this is your home church, if you haven't received yet a little stewardship card, you're big boys and girls, God will tell you what to do. I want you to get on your knees and to pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do to help in the mission of what Bel Air is doing? Do you know what we've got? Do you know we brought in this last 18 months a thousand new faces to this church? Praise the Lord. Do you know how many of them are just brand new in the Christian faith? They've got to be educated. Do you know our families? The families that are just beginning, beginning and with the little children and those that all the way going through the teenage years and those that their children have moved away and praise God and, and that they're, uh, no. And the tough time that that is in moving ahead. Do you know about for our singles? Do you know you started as single? Do you know unless you die together and how few that is, you end up single again? And we have a need to love and to help there. And then we're going to find, by God's grace, churches in the valley and on the west side that have common hearts. And we're going to, by His grace, hook up together. And this part of L.A. is never going to be the same. But we need to do first things first. Get to the place where we say, God, I'm serious about you. And see the blessing that God gives. God will love you if you never give Him a nickel. Do you know that? But because He loves you. He's never going to stop until the addiction is healed. Truly, I tell you, to whom much is given, much is required. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you that we can't bribe you and you don't want our money. God, you want our hearts that's wrapped around our money. And God, I thank you for so many women and men here and boys and girls that have been faithful stewards, God. And as we are in this building and so many have been touched because others gave. Thank you, Lord, for this great privilege that you would take the little things, the coins that we have and bless them and multiply them. God, I pray that at this coming week that we would get ready next week to celebrate this rich harvest as we commit to you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that we just return to you what you have shared to us. Thank you, Lord. The only way to fail is to do nothing. And I pray for any that have never charted this great adventure of tithing, Lord, that you'd help them maybe with the 2 or 3%, whatever, where they start. And for the rest of us, help us to move up to the level, Lord, of really trusting you. Thank you, Lord, that we love you because you loved us first. And we pray these things, God, in your powerful name.
for your sake alone. Amen.